Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Stories for the Road and the Mystery of the Blue Train by Agatha Christie. This is your host, John Hagedorn. Today, chapters 11 and 12. And now, chapter 11, Murder. Catherine wakened the next morning to brilliant sunshine. She went along to breakfast early, but met none of her acquaintances of the day before. When she returned to her compartment, it had just been restored to its daytime appearance by the conductor, a dark man with a drooping mustache and melancholy face. "'Madame is fortunate,' he said. "'The sun shines. It is always a great disappointment to passengers when they arrive on a grey morning.' "'I should have been disappointed, certainly,' said Catherine. The man prepared to depart. "'We are rather late, madame,' he said. "'I will let you know just before we get to Nice.' Catherine nodded. She sat by the window, entranced by the sunlit panorama. The pallid trees, the deep blue of the sea, the bright yellow mimosa came with all the charm of novelty to the woman who for fourteen years had known only the drab winters of England. When they arrived at Cannes, Catherine got out and walked up and down the platform. She was curious about the lady in the mink coat, and looked up at the windows of her compartment. The blinds were still drawn down, the only ones to be so on the whole train. Catherine wondered a little, and when she re-entered the train, she passed along the corridor and noticed that these two compartments were still shuttered and closed. The lady of the mink coat was clearly no early riser. Presently the conductor came to her and told her that in a few minutes the train would arrive at Nice. Catherine handed him a tip. The man thanked her, but still lingered. There was something odd about him. Catherine, who had at first wondered whether the tip had not been big enough, was now convinced that something far more serious was amiss. His face was of a sickly pallor, he was shaking all over, and looked as if he had been frightened out of his life. He was eyeing her in a curious manner. Presently he said abruptly, "'Madame will excuse me, but is she expecting friends to meet her at Nice?' "'Probably,' said Catherine. "'Why?' but the man merely shook his head and murmured something that Catherine could not catch and moved away, not reappearing until the train came to rest at the station, when he started handing her belongings down from the window. Catherine stood for a moment or two on the platform, rather at a loss, but a fair young man with an ingenuous face came up to her and said rather hesitatingly, "'Miss Gray, is it not?' Catherine said that it was, and the young man beamed upon her seraphically and murmured, "'I am chubby, you know, Lady Tamplin's husband. "'I expect she mentioned me, but perhaps she forgot. "'Had you got your billet to baggages? "'I lost mine when I came out this year, "'and you would not believe the fuss they made about it. "'Regular French red tape.' "'Catherine produced it, "'and was just about to move off beside him "'when a very gentle and insidious voice murmured in her ear, "'A little moment, madame, if you please.' Catherine turned to behold an individual who made up the insignificance of stature by a large quantity of gold lace and uniform. The individual explained, "'There were certain formalities. Madame would perhaps be so kind as to accompany him.' "'The regulations of the police?' He threw up his arms. "'Absurd, doubtless. But there it was.' Mr. Chubby Evans listened with a very imperfect comprehension, his French being of a limited order. "'So like the French,' murmured Mr. Evans. 
He was one of those staunch patriotic Britons who, having made a portion of a foreign country their own, strongly resent the original inhabitants of it. Always up to some silly dodge or other. They've never tackled people on the station before, though. This is something quite new. I suppose you'll have to go. Catherine departed with her guide. Somewhat to her surprise, he led her towards a siding where a coach of the departed train had been shunted. He invited her to mount into this, and, preceding her down the corridor, held aside the door of one of the compartments. In it was a pompous-looking, official personage, and with him a nondescript being who appeared to be a clerk. The pompous-looking personage rose politely, bowed to Catherine, and said, "'You will excuse me, madam, but there are certain formalities to be complied with. Madam speaks French, I trust?' "'Sufficiently, I think, monsieur,' replied Catherine, in that language. "'That is good. Pray be seated, madame. I am M. Caw, the commissary of police.' He blew out his chest importantly, and Catherine tried to look sufficiently impressed. "'You wish to see my passport?' she inquired. "'Here it is.' The commissary eyed her keenly and gave a little grunt. Mm. "'Thank you, madame,' he said, taking the passport from her. He cleared his throat. <clears> throat> "'But what I really desire is a little information.' "'Information?' The commissary nodded his head slowly. "'About a lady who has been a fellow passenger of yours. You lunched with her yesterday.' "'I'm afraid I can't tell you anything about her.' "'We fell into conversation over our meal, "'but she's a complete stranger to me. "'I've never seen her before.' "'And yet,' said the commissary sharply, "'you returned to her compartment with her after lunch "'and sat talking for some time.' "'Yes,' said Catherine. "'That is true.' "'The commissary seemed to expect her to say something more. "'He looked at her encouragingly. "'Yes, madame?' "'Well, monsieur?' said Catherine. "'You can, perhaps, give me some kind of idea of that conversation.' "'I could,' said Catherine. "'But at the moment I see no reason to do so.' In somewhat British fashion she felt annoyed. This foreign official seemed to her impertinent. "'No reason?' cried the commissary. "'Oh, yes, madame. I can assure you that there is a reason.' "'Then perhaps you will give it to me.' The commissary rubbed his chin thoughtfully for a minute or two without speaking. "'Madame,' he said at last, "'the reason is very simple. The lady in question was found dead in her compartment this morning.' "'Dead?' gasped Catherine. "'What was it? Heart failure?' "'No,' said the commissary, in a reflective voice. "'No. She was murdered.' "'Murdered?' cried Catherine. "'So you see, madame.' "'why we are anxious for any information we can possibly get.' "'But surely her maid—' "'The maid has disappeared.' "'Oh!' Catherine paused to assemble her thoughts. "'Since the conductor had seen you talking with her in her compartment, "'he quite naturally reported the fact to the police, "'and that is why, madame, we have detained you, "'in the hope of gaining some information.' "'I am very sorry,' said Catherine. "'I don't even know her name.' "'Her name is Kettering. "'That we know from her passport "'and from the labels on her baggage. "'If we—' "'There was a knock at the compartment door. "'Monsieur Caw frowned. "'He opened it about six inches. "'What's the matter?'
he said peremptorily. "'I cannot be disturbed.' The egg-shaped head of Catherine's dinner acquaintance showed itself in the aperture. On his face was a beaming smile. "'My name,' he said, "'is Hercule Poirot.' "'Not the Hercule Poirot.' "'The same,' said Mr. Poirot. "'I remember meeting you once, Monsieur Carr, on the Serret in Paris, though doubtless you have forgotten me.' "'Not at all, Monsieur, not at all,' declared the commissary heartily. "'But enter, I pray of you. You know of this?' "'Yes, I know,' said Hercule Poirot. "'I came in to see if I might be of any assistance.' "'We should be flattered.' "'replied the commissary promptly. "'Let me present you, Mr. Poirot, to—' "'He consulted the passport he still held in his hand. "'To Madame, er, Mademoiselle Grey.' "'Poirot smiled across at Catherine. "'It is strange, is it not?' he murmured. "'That my words should have come through so quickly.' "'Mademoiselle, alas, can tell us very little,' said the commissary. "'I have been explaining,' said Catherine, "'that this poor lady was a complete stranger to me.' Poirot nodded. "'But she talked to you, did she not?' he said gently. "'You formed an impression. Is it not so?' "'Yes,' said Catherine, thoughtfully. "'I suppose I did. And that impression was—' "'Yes, mademoiselle?' The commissary jerked himself forward. "'Let us by all means have your impression.' Catherine sat turning the whole thing over in her mind. She felt in a way as if she were betraying a confidence. But with that ugly word, murder, ringing in her ears, she dared not keep anything back. Too much might hang upon it. So as nearly as she could, she repeated word for word the conversation she had had with the dead woman. "'That is interesting,' said the commissary, glancing at the other. "'Eh, Monsieur Poirot, that is interesting. "'Whether it has anything to do with the crime—' "'He left the sentence unfinished. "'I suppose it could not be suicide,' said Catherine, rather doubtfully. "'No,' said the commissary. "'It could not be suicide. "'She was strangled with a length of black cord.' "'Oh!' Catherine shivered. "'Monsieur Caw spread out his hands apologetically.' "'It is not nice, no. "'I think our train robbers are more brutal than they are in your country.' "'That's horrible.' "'Yes, yes.' "'He was soothing and apologetic. "'But you have great courage, mademoiselle. "'At once, as soon as I saw you, I said to myself, "'Mademoiselle has great courage. "'That is why I am going to ask you to do something more, "'something distressing, but I assure you, very necessary.' Catherine looked at him apprehensively. He spread out his hands apologetically. "'I'm going to ask you, mademoiselle, to be so good as to accompany me to the next compartment.' "'Must I?' asked Catherine, in a low voice. "'Someone must identify her,' said the commissary. "'And since the maid has disappeared,' he coughed significantly, "'you appear to be the person who has seen most of her since she joined the train.' "'Very well,' said Catherine quietly, "'if it is necessary.' She rose. Poirot gave her a little nod of approval. 
"'Mademoiselle is sensible,' he said. "'May I accompany you, Monsieur Carr?' "'Enchanted, my dear Mr. Poirot.' "'They went out into the corridor, "'and Monsieur Carr unlocked the door of the dead woman's compartment. "'The blinds on the far side had been drawn halfway up to admit light. "'The dead woman lay on the berth to their left, "'in so natural a posture that one could have thought her asleep. "'The bedclothes were drawn up over her, "'and her head was turned to the wall, "'so that only her red auburn curls showed. "'Very gently, Monsieur Carr laid a hand on her shoulder.' "'and turned the body back so that the face came into view. "'Catherine flinched a little and dug her nails into her palms. "'A heavy blow had disfigured the features almost beyond recognition. "'Poirot gave a sharp exclamation. "'When was that done, I wonder?' he demanded. "'Before the death or after?' "'The doctor says after,' said Monsieur Carr. "'Strange,' said Poirot. "'drawing his brows together. "'He turned to Catherine. "'Be brave, mademoiselle. "'Look at her well. "'Are you sure that this was the woman "'you talked to in the train yesterday?' "'Catherine had good nerves. "'She steeled herself to look long and earnestly "'at the recumbent figure. "'Then she leaned forward "'and took up the dead woman's hand. "'I am quite sure,' she replied at length. "'The face is too disfigured to recognize, "'but the build... "'and carriage and hair are exact. "'And besides, I noticed this.' "'She pointed to a tiny mole on the dead woman's wrist "'while I was talking to her. "'Bon,' approved Poirot. "'You are an excellent witness, mademoiselle. "'Then there is no question as to the identity, "'but it is strange, all the same.' "'He frowned down on the dead woman in perplexity. "'Monsieur Carr shrugged his shoulders.' "'The murder was carried away by rage, doubtless,' he suggested. "'If she had been struck down, it would have been comprehensible,' mused Poirot. "'But the man who strangled her slipped up behind and caught her unawares. "'A little joke, a little gurgle, that is all that would be heard. "'And then afterwards, that smashing blow on her face. "'Now why? "'Did he hope that if the face were unrecognizable, she might not be identified?' "'Or did he hate her so much "'that he couldn't resist striking that blow "'even after she was dead?' "'Catherine shuddered, "'and he turned at once to her kindly. "'You must not let me distress you, mademoiselle,' "'he said. "'To you this is all very terrible. "'To me, alas, it is an old story. "'One moment, I pray of you both.' "'They stood against the door "'watching him as he went quickly round the compartment.' He noted the dead woman's clothes neatly folded on the end of the berth, the big fur coat that hung from a hook, and the little red lacquer hat tossed up on the rack. Then he passed through into the adjoining compartment, the one in which Catherine had seen the maid sitting. Here the berth had not been made up. Three or four rugs were piled loosely on the seat. There was a hat box and a couple of suitcases. He turned suddenly to Catherine. "'You were in here yesterday,' he said. "'Do you see anything changed? Anything missing?' "'Catherine looked carefully round both compartments. "'Yes,' she said. "'There is something missing. "'A scarlet Morocco case. "'It had the initials R.V.K. on it. "'It might have been a small dressing case "'or a big jewel case. "'When I saw it, the maid was holding it.' "'Ah!' 
said Boro. "'But surely,' said Catherine, "'I, of course, I don't know anything about such things, "'but surely it is plain enough "'if the maid and the jewel-case are missing.' "'You mean that it was the maid who was the thief?' "'No, mademoiselle. "'There is a very good reason against that,' said the commissary. "'What?' "'The maid was left behind in Paris.' "'He turned to Poirot. "'I should like you to hear the conductor's story yourself,' "'he murmured confidentially. "'It is very suggestive.' "'Mademoiselle would doubtless like to hear it as well,' said Poirot. "'You do not object, Monsieur le Commissaire?' "'No,' said the commissary, "'who clearly did object very much.' "'No, no, certainly, Monsieur Poirot, if you say so. "'Are you finished here?' "'I think so. One little minute.' "'He had been turning over the rugs, "'and now he took one to the window and looked at it, "'picking something off it with his fingers. "'What's that?' demanded Monsieur Caw sharply. "'Four arbonheurs.' "'He bent over the dead woman. "'Yes, they are from the head of Madame.' "'And what of it? Do you attach importance to them?' Poirot let the rug drop back on the seat. Well, "'What is important? What is not? One cannot say at this stage, but we must note each little fact carefully.' They went back again into the first compartment, and in a minute or two the conductor of the carriage arrived to be questioned. "'Your name is Pierre Michael?' said the commissary. "'Yes, Monsieur le Commissaire. "'I should like you to repeat to this gentleman,' "'he indicated Poirot, "'the story that you told me "'as to what happened in Paris.' "'Very good, Monsieur le Commissaire. "'It was after we had left the Guerre de Lyon. "'I came along to make the beds, "'thinking that Madame would be at dinner, "'but she had a dinner basket in her compartment. "'She said to me that she had been obliged "'to leave her maid behind in Paris.' "'so that I only need make up one berth. "'She took her dinner-basket into the adjoining compartment "'and sat there while I made up the bed. "'Then she told me that she did not wish to be wakened early in the morning, "'that she liked to sleep on. "'I told her I quite understood, and she wished me good night. "'You yourself did not go into the adjoining compartment?' "'No, monsieur.' "'Then you did not happen to notice if a scarlet Morocco case "'was amongst the luggage there?' "'No, monsieur, I did not. "'Would it have been possible for a man "'to have been concealed in the adjoining compartment?' "'The conductor reflected. "'The door was half open,' he said. "'If a man had stood behind that door, "'I should not have been able to see him, "'but he would, of course, "'have been perfectly visible to madame "'when she went in there.' "'Quite so,' said Poirot. "'Is there anything more you have to tell us?' "'I think that is all, monsieur. "'I can remember nothing else.' "'And now this morning?' prompted Poirot. "'As madame had ordered, I did not disturb her. "'It was not until just before Cannes "'that I ventured to knock at the door. "'Getting no reply, I opened it. "'The lady appeared to be in her bed asleep. "'I took her by the shoulder to rouse her, and then—' "'And then you saw what had happened,' volunteered Poirot. "'Très bien. I think I know all I want to know. "'I hope, Monsieur le Commissaire, "'it is not that I have been guilty of any negligence. 
said the man piteously. "'Such an affair to happen on the blue train. "'It is horrible.' "'Console yourself,' said the commissary. "'Everything will be done to keep the affair as quiet as possible, "'if only in the interests of justice. "'I cannot think you have been guilty of any negligence.' "'And Monsieur le commissaire will report as much to the company?' "'But certainly, but certainly,' said Monsieur Caw impatiently. "'That will do.' "'The conductor withdrew. "'According to the medical evidence,' said the commissary, "'the lady was probably dead before the train reached Lyon. "'Who, then, was the murderer? "'From Mademoiselle's story, "'it seems clear that somewhere on her journey "'she was to meet this man of whom she spoke. "'Her action in getting rid of the maid seemed significant. "'Did the man join the train at Paris, "'and did she conceal him in the adjoining compartment? "'If so, they may have quarreled. "'and he may have killed her in a fit of rage. "'That's one possibility. "'The other, and the more likely to my mind, "'is that her assailant was a train robber "'traveling on the train, "'that he stole along the corridor "'unseen by the conductor, "'killed her, "'and went off with the red Morocco case "'which doubtless contained jewels of some value. "'In all probability, "'he left the train at Lyon, "'and we've already telegraphed to the station there "'for full particulars of anyone seen leaving the train.' "'Or he might have come on to Nice,' suggested Poirot. "'He might,' agreed the commissary. "'But that would be a very bold course.' Poirot let a minute or two go by before speaking, and then he said, "'In the latter case, you think the man was an ordinary train robber?' The commissary shrugged his shoulders. "'It depends. We must get hold of the maid. It is possible that she has the red Morocco case with her. If so—' "'then the man of whom she spoke to Mademoiselle "'may be concerned in the case, "'and the affair is a crime of passion. "'I myself think the solution of a train robber "'is the more probable. "'These bandits have become very bold of late.' "'Poirot looked suddenly across to Catherine. "'And you, Mademoiselle,' he said, "'you heard and saw nothing during the night?' "'Nothing,' said Catherine. "'Poirot turned to the commissary.' "'We need detain Mademoiselle no longer, I think,' he suggested. The latter nodded. "'She will leave us her address,' he said. Catherine gave him the name of Lady Tampton's villa. Poirot made her a little bow. "'You permit that I see you again, Mademoiselle?' he said. "'Or have you so many friends that your time will be all taken up?' "'On the contrary,' said Catherine, "'I shall have plenty of leisure, "'and I shall be very pleased to see you again.' "'Excellent,' said Poirot, "'and gave her a little friendly nod. "'This shall be a Roman policier, I knew. "'We will investigate this affair together.' "'We'll return with Chapter 12 "'of The Mystery of the Blue Train, "'A Poirot Mystery, "'right after these sponsor messages.' "'Hi, everyone.' The holiday season is upon us, and I'll be glued to the telly for BritBox on many a night. I've already shared with you the fact that I keep up with Father Brown and Poirot at BritBox. I also check out their new stuff, like the new series Archie, which tells the story of Archie Leach, otherwise known to millions of filmgoers as Cary Grant. This story comes from his daughter Jennifer Grant and ex-wife Diane Cannon. It's a series. The performance of Jason Isaacs, who plays Cary Grant, is top-notch. I highly recommend it. You can only find it on my favorite TV, BritBox. 
Sign up to BritBox today to stream Archie and other fan favorites today from any device. I have a special limited time offer for my U.S. and Canadian listeners. Get 50% off your first month when you sign up for a monthly plan, but only if you go to BritBox.com and use my promo code 1001STORIES at checkout. Don't wait. Get 50% off your first month. Just use promo code 1001STORIES at BritBox.com. Try it. You'll like it. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. And now, Chapter 12, at the Villa Marguerite. Then you were really in the thick of it all? said Lady Tamplin enviously. "'My dear, how thrilling!' She opened her china-blue eyes very wide and gave a little sigh. "'A real murder,' said Mr. Evans, gloatingly. "'Of course Chubby had no idea of anything of the kind,' went on Lady Tamplin. "'He simply could not imagine why the police wanted you. "'My dear, what an opportunity, I think. "'You know, yes, I certainly think something might be made out of this.' A calculating look rather marred the ingenuousness of the blue eyes. Catherine felt slightly uncomfortable. They were just finishing lunch, and she looked in turn at the three people sitting round the table. Lady Tamplin, full of practical schemes. Mr. Evans, beaming with naive appreciation. And Lennox, with a queer, crooked smile on her dark face. "'Marvelous luck,' murmured Chubby. "'I wish I could have gone along with you and seen all the exhibits.' His tone was wistful and childlike. Catherine said nothing. The police had laid no injunctions of secrecy upon her, and it was clearly impossible to suppress the bare facts or try to keep them from her hostess. But she did rather wish it had been possible to do so. "'Yes,' said Lady Tamplin, coming suddenly out of her reverie. "'I do think something might be done. A little account, you know, cleverly written up. An eyewitness, a feminine touch.' How I chatted with the dead woman, little thinking, that sort of thing, you know. Rot, said Lennox. You have no idea, said Lady Tamplin, in a soft, wistful voice, what newspapers will pay for a little tidbit, written, of course, by someone of really unimpeachable social position. You would not like to do it yourself, I dare say, Catherine dear. "'But just give me the bare bones of it, "'and I will manage the whole thing for you. "'Mr. de Havilland is a special friend of mine. "'We have a little understanding together. "'A most delightful man. "'Not at all reporterish. "'How does that idea strike you, Catherine?' "'I would much prefer to do nothing of the kind,' "'said Catherine, bluntly. "'Lady Tamplin was rather disconcerted "'at this uncompromising refusal. "'She sighed and turned to the elucidation "'of further details.' "'A very striking-looking woman,' you said. "'I wonder now who she could have been. "'You didn't hear her name?' "'It was mentioned,' Catherine admitted. "'But I can't remember it. "'You see, I was rather upset.' "'I should think so,' 
said Mr. Evans. "'It must have been a beastly shock.' "'It is to be doubted whether, even if Catherine had remembered the name, "'she would have admitted the fact. "'Lady Tamplin's remorseless cross-examination was making her restive. "'Lennox, who was observant in her own way, noticed this, "'and offered to take Catherine upstairs to see her room. "'She left her there, remarking kindly before she went, "'You mustn't mind, Mother. "'She would make a few pennies profit out of her dying grandmother if she could.' Lennox went down again to find her mother and her stepfather discussing the newcomer. "'Presentable,' said Lady Tamplin. "'Quite presentable. Her clothes are all right. That grey thing is the same model that Gladys Cooper wore in palm trees in Egypt.' "'Have you noticed her eyes, what?' interposed Mr. Evans. "'Never mind her eyes, Chubby,' said Lady Tamplin tartly. "'We're discussing the things that really matter.' "'Oh, quite,' said Mr. Evans, and retired into his shell. "'She doesn't seem to me very malleable,' said Lady Tamplin, rather hesitating to choose the right word. "'She has all the instincts of a lady, as they say in books,' said Lennox, with a grin. "'Narrow-minded,' murmured Lady Tamplin. "'Inevitable under the circumstances, I suppose.' "'I expect you will do your best to broaden her,' said Lennox, with a grin. "'But you will have your work cut out. "'Just now, you noticed. "'She stuck down her forefeet and laid back her ears and refused to budge. "'Anyway,' said Lady Tamplin, hopefully, "'she doesn't look to me at all mean. "'Some people, when they come into money, seem to attach undue importance to it. "'Oh, you'll easily touch her for what you want.' "'said Lennox. "'And after all, that is all that matters to you, isn't it? "'That's what she's here for.' "'She is my own cousin,' said Lady Tamplin, with dignity. "'Cousin, eh?' said Mr. Evans, waking up again. "'I suppose I call her Catherine, don't I?' "'It is of no importance at all what you call her, Chubby,' said Lady Tamplin. "'Good,' said Mr. Evans. "'Then I will.' "'Do you suppose she plays tennis?' he added, hopefully. "'Of course not,' said Lady Tamplin. "'She's been a companion. I tell you, companions don't play tennis or golf. They might possibly play golf croquet, but I've always understood that they wind wool and wash dogs most of the day.' "'Oh, God,' said Mr. Evans. "'Do they really?' Lennox drifted upstairs again to Catherine's room. "'Can I help you?' she asked, rather perfunctorily. On Catherine's disclaimer, Lennox sat on the edge of the bed and stared thoughtfully at her guest. "'Why did you come?' she said at last. "'To us, I mean. We're not your sort.' "'Oh, I am anxious to get into society,' Catherine said. "'Don't be an ass,' said Lennox, promptly detecting the flicker of a smile. "'You know what I mean well enough.' "'You're not a bit what I thought you would be. "'I say, you've got some decent clothes.' "'She sighed. "'Clothes are no good to me. "'I was born awkward. "'It's a pity, because I love them.' "'I love them, too,' said Catherine. "'But it has not been much use my loving them up to now. "'Do you think this is nice?' "'She and Lennox discussed several models with artistic fervor. "'I like you,' said Lennox, suddenly.' 
I came up to warn you not to be taken in by mother. But I think now that there's no need to do that. You are frightfully sincere and upright and all those queer things, but you are not a fool. Oh, hell, what is it now? Lady Tamplin's voice was calling plaintively from the hall. Oh, Lennox, Derek has just rung up. He wants to come to dinner tonight. Will it be all right? I mean, we haven't got anything awkward, like quails, have we? Lennox reassured her and came back into Catherine's room. Her face looked brighter and less sullen. "'I'm glad old Derek is coming,' she said. "'You'll like him.' "'Who is Derek?' "'He is Lord Leckenberry's son, married a rich American woman. Women are simply potty about him.' "'Why?' "'Oh, the usual reason. Very good-looking and a regular bad lot. Everyone goes off their head about him.' "'Do you?' "'Sometimes I do.' "'said Lennox. "'And sometimes I think I would like to marry a nice curate "'and live in the country and grow things in frames.' "'She paused a minute and then added, "'An Irish curate would be best, "'and then I should hunt.' "'After a minute or two, "'she reverted to her former theme. "'There is something queer about Derek. "'All that family are a bit potty. "'Mad gamblers, you know. "'In the old days they used to gamble away their wives "'and their estates.' "'and did most reckless things just for the love of it. "'Derek would have made a perfect highwayman. "'Debonair, just the right manner.' "'She moved to the door. "'Well, come down when you like it.' "'Left alone, Catherine gave herself up to thought. "'Just at present she felt thoroughly ill at ease "'and jarred by her surroundings. "'The shock of the discovery in the train "'and the reception of the news by her new friends "'jarred upon her susceptibilities.' She thought long and earnestly about the murdered woman. She had been very sorry for Ruth, but she could not honestly say that she had liked her. She had divined only too well the ruthless egoism that was the keynote of her personality, and that repelled her. She had been amused and a trifle hurt by the other's cool dismissal of her when she had served her turn. That she had come to some decision, Catherine was quite certain, but she wondered now what that decision had been. Whatever it was, death had stepped in and made all decisions meaningless. Strange that it should have been so, and that a brutal crime should have been the ending of that fateful journey. But suddenly Catherine remembered a small fact that she ought, perhaps, to have told the police, a fact that had for the moment escaped her memory. Was it of any real importance? She had certainly thought that she had seen a man going into that particular compartment. "'but she realized that she might easily have been mistaken. "'It might have been the compartment next door, "'and certainly the man in question could be no train robber. "'She recalled him very clearly, "'as she had seen him on those two previous occasions, "'once at the Savoy and once at Cook's office. "'No, doubtless she had been mistaken. "'He had not gone into the dead woman's compartment, "'and it was perhaps as well that she had said nothing to the police. "'She might have done incalculable harm by doing so.' She went down to join the others on the terrace outside. Through the branches of mimosa, she looked out over the blue of the Mediterranean, and while listening with half an ear to Lady Tamplin's chatter, she was glad that she had come. This was better than St. Mary Mead. That evening she put on the mauvey pink dress that went by the name of Sopir d'Automne, and after smiling at her reflection in the mirror, 
went downstairs with, for the first time in her life, a faint feeling of shyness. Most of Lady Tamplin's guests had arrived, and since noise was the essential of Lady Tamplin's parties, the din was already critic. Chubby rushed up to Catherine, passed a cocktail upon her, and took her under his wing. "'Oh, here you are, Derek!' cried Lady Tamplin, as the door opened to admit the last comer. "'Now at last we can have something to eat. I am starving.' Catherine looked across the room. She was startled. So this was Derek, and she realized that she was not surprised. She had always known that she would some day meet the man whom she had seen three times by such a curious chain of coincidences. She thought, too, that he recognized her. He paused abruptly in what he was saying to Lady Tamplin, and went on again as though with an effort. They all went into dinner, and Catherine found that he was placed beside her. He turned to her at once with a vivid smile. "'I knew that I was going to meet you soon,' he remarked, "'but I never dreamt that it would be here. "'It had to be, you know. "'Once at the Savoy, and once at Cook's. "'Never twice without three times. "'Don't say you can't remember me or never noticed me. "'I insist upon your pretending that you noticed me anyway.' "'Oh, I did,' said Catherine. "'But this is not the third time. "'It's the fourth. "'I saw you on the blue train.' "'On the blue train?' "'Something undefinable came over his manner. "'She could not have said just what it was. "'It was as though he had received a check, a setback. "'And then he said carelessly, "'What was the rumpus this morning? "'Somebody had died, hadn't they?' "'Yes,' said Catherine slowly. "'Somebody had died.' "'You shouldn't die on a train,' remarked Derek flippantly. I believe it causes all sorts of legal and international complications, and it gives the train an excuse for being even later than usual. Mr. Kettering? A stout American lady, who was sitting opposite, leaned forward and spoke to him with the deliberate intonation of her race. Mr. Kettering, I do believe you have forgotten me, and I thought you such a perfectly lovely man. Derek leaned forward, answering her, and Catherine sat almost dazed. Kettering, that was the name, of course. She remembered it now. But what a strange, ironical situation. Here was this man, whom she had seen go into his wife's apartment last night, who had left her safe and well, and now he was sitting there, quite unconscious of the fate that had befallen her. Of that there was no doubt. He did not know. A servant was leaning over Derek, handing him a note and murmuring in his ear. With a word of excuse to Lady Tamplin, he broke it open, and an expression of utter astonishment came over his face as he read. Then he looked at his hostess. "'This is most extraordinary. I say, Rosalie, I'm afraid I will have to leave you. The Prefect of Police wants to see me at once. I can't think what about.' "'Your sins have found you out,' remarked Lennox. "'They must have,' said Derrick. "'Probably some idiotic nonsense. "'But I suppose I shall have to push off to the prefecture. "'How dare the old boy rout me out from dinner? "'It ought to be something deadly serious to justify that.' "'And he laughed as he pushed back his chair "'and rose to leave the room. "'Join us next week for Chapter 13, "'Van Alden Gets a Telegram, "'With the Mystery of the Blue Train, "'A Poirot Mystery by Agatha Christie.'
We always appreciate reviews, very much, and we do appreciate your sharing our show and encouraging others to follow us. This is 1001 Stories for the Road, and this is your host, John Hagedorn, and we'll return next Sunday at noon Eastern Time with two more chapters. Until then, everyone, stay safe, and we'll be back soon. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen.